Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to the Jeff Gannon. That is hashtag G-E-O-F-F on Twitter. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. This is the number one value investing podcast in the world with the number one value investing podcast listeners in the world. We hope everyone is having a great day. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. We're trying to make that YouTube algorithm take us to great heights. If you're listening to us on the podcast side of things, we're over 200, by the way. I told you we were going to forget to celebrate 200, but we have oh, over 200 okay. podcasts, so, yeah. which mm-hmm. is insane. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun because people listen. And when we get comments and feedback, that just makes all that much better. Uh, so a rating review goes a, a long way for Jeff and myself. Jeff doesn't check them, but I do, if that helps. <laughs> and if you want to support us and you sign up at quickfs.net, uh, tell them that you heard of them from Focus Compounding. If you have a membership and you have signed up for us, I'm not gonna advise you to do this, but you know, (laughs) you wanna support us, I'm not gonna say what to do, but you know what to do. (laughs) Cancel that membership, re-sign up, click Focus Compounding. We love the website. And if the founder's listening, I'm sorry. In today's video, we are going to be going over how to think about intrinsic value in a recession. Okay. You recently said that you are the most bull- bearish, excuse me, the most bearish you've ever been <laughs> on the market in your investing career, but that doesn't mean that we're not buying stocks. Okay. That doesn't mean that we, you know, will continue to buy more stocks. We've done some transactions, we've also purchased more stocks. So, let's talk about it, right? And I think you drew that conclusion from, and we talked about this in the Q&A in the last podcast we did, from you know some macro factors, but also from a lot of the companies that you've been analyzing, mm-hmm. right? We're down, as we recorded today, 12% on the year, which is nothing, yeah. especially from the perspective of what the market did last year. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about it. How, do you, how are you thinking about valuation and intrinsic value in businesses if we do go into a recession, I mean, 20 million jobs were lost in April, which came out today. So mm-hmm. I don't know what you want to call that, maybe worse than a recession. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's really the topic of do all those companies hire back all those employees when everything gets back to right. quote unquote normal, whatever normal is. Mm-hmm. But how are you thinking about it? Well, so it depends on the stock that we're looking at. Um, I would say if we're looking at... So Buffett basically said that he thought Berkshire's intrinsic value relationship between price and intrinsic value wasn't that different now than it had been when Berkshire was almost, uh, now that Berkshire's almost 20% lower than it was. Um, so obviously he thought that it had declined in value by around that number. He said it wasn't um, a lot worse or a lot better, you know. So the price and the intrinsic value declined similarly. Uh, so it depends on the business. Uh, I think with... There's some that we know have changed a lot. So oil has changed a lot. Um, banks, I would say, have changed a fair amount. Uh, it, that has to do with things like the yield curve and the credit losses that they'll have and all of that. And then for some other companies, they just shut down. As long as they don't have to raise money then uh, by diluting you, then you have just the few years of lost revenue, uh, lost earnings that you would have had. So then you just have to take care of the factor of time there. Um, if you're expecting a 10% return or something each year, and now you get nothing for the next two years, then obviously you need to factor in that, you know, the values decline in terms of what you pay by, you know, one divided by 1.2 or whatever. So that's basically um, how you have to figure it out is what have you lost? What's changed in the trajectory of the business versus what you had before? And then you just have to do the math on that. Do you think that 12% 
being 12% down on the year, I wonder how much of that is really because of the stocks that carry the market, right? The FANG stocks, I mm-hmm. mean, or like Amazon, Google, all those stocks make up X percentage of right. like the market, right? Yeah. Amazon is at its high, I believe. Mm-hmm. Google, I'm pretty sure has done okay as well. I mean, all those stocks have, we could look it up right now if you are mm-hmm. watching us on YouTube. Uh, so Facebook's at 209, talk about right. V-shaped bottom. looks like it fell at 217, mm-hmm. right? So it's up. We could go look at Goog. Um, let's see, year to date. Okay, so it looks like it had a peak of 1,526 and we're at 1,351. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, Apple. Year to date, looks like we had a peak at 324, so we're not that mm-hmm. much lower, right? 301. Right. Amazon. <laughs> like, uh, we're, we're higher than where we were mm-hmm. in February. So, you know, I mean, if anything, I mean, COVID has actually probably strengthens Amazon's moat and, and their business. Yeah. Um, but I wonder how much of that 12%, you know, is really a, just a correlation to those massive companies that continuously carry the market. Sure. Yeah. And Microsoft is in that same category as a company that is big and isn't really uh, presumably harmed that much by it. Uh, there are other, you know... Uh, parts of the market so uh smaller cap things and stuff those aren't really the kinds of things that we buy though so like when you see things like the russell and stuff that really has nothing to do with us that Mm -hmm. tends to be very speculative kind of mid more liquid almost companies yeah then they're much bigger companies and they're much more speculative than what we invest in so what we invest in is more like um we could look at some of them uh like not the specifically things we own but give you some examples so uh a good example here would be let's do mcem and monarch Monarch cement Cement. yeah so monarch cement that's an easy one to do because we have just ask is is the uh, you know cement um uh, demand for cement and stuff uh, decreased a bunch. Um, I don't know if these numbers are exactly up to date because unless they um, put out something recently, I believe that they should be a bit under, their price to book should be less than one. So uh, because that price looks lower to me than what their book was last I checked. But um, that's an example. So it is, uh, so like for instance, my cement today is a bit cheaper than it was in like maybe 1997 or something like that if you go back. Um, so, you know, how different are our times now from then short term, not as good, but in the longer term, it might be fine. So it, the stock did respond a bit to that. I don't, um, to the, uh, it was over 60, I believe, um, the stock, uh, not long ago. So it does have a stock portfolio that's harmed somewhat by this cause it's in home builders and, and energy stuff almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that definitely got hurt. But I'd say that's one that is is kind of already reflecting a downturn in cement, and that's almost a later stage thing that we're not as sure about now. Um, advertising has declined a ton. That's probably why Google's affected mm-hmm. compared to some of the other stocks, and we know that um, it, it's tremendous the declines in that. Uh, but that could recover quickly. You've seen that in like um, if we look at uh, oh let's look at Omnicom. Omnicom is a good example because this changes things a bit in terms of the intrinsic value, right? So Omnicom, uh, I said it'd be really attractive to buy at like um, $45 a share or something, and that it's probably, it seems like it must be worth at least $65 a share um, under any circumstances I can think of. The stock is a little bit cheaper, but it's at about one times EV to sales, and really price to sales, the leverage number is more useful here. Um, so it's cheap, and you can see what happened in like 2008. This decline is worse, 
but it may not last as long. It depends on what people think about the recession. So they are reflecting it. But then you look at other companies. We've talked about Hilton Food, for instance. Um, Which isn't on here. Yeah. And uh, that's at an all-time high, basically. And so some of them are a little surprising. Some supermarkets are near highs and stuff. So I guess people feel they're not affected. I mean, Hilton Food is meatpacking. It's heavily automated. But they're, I mean, they may have some spread of the virus in their meatpacking places and have to shut down. Sometimes it's, it's hard to avoid that happening. Um, so, you know, there are things that aren't affected at all by it in terms of the stock. Uh, how would you think about like valuation though? Like what, if you were doing just, let's say like back of the envelope type of valuations and you were going to slap a multiple on a business or whatever way you're going to think about it. I mean, how would you think about that today? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, or are you just more concerned about the certainty of the businesses being able to get back to 2019 levels and then paying a cheap, yeah. that's cheap relative to that. I mean, what do you think? That's one of the biggest things is just the easiest ways of asking is when would they be, take the trailing number. So let's say that you have full year 2019 numbers. When do you think they'll be back to that again? Uh, do you think that will 2020 be a clean year? Will 2021? Depends on the stock. For some stocks, it might be 2022. If that's the case and you lose two full years, let's say, or you use one full year or whatever, you have to factor in that opportunity cost. That you're getting no return. Now, mm -hmm. in some cases, people might think they're not getting no return. Um, and that's why I mentioned Omnicom. Omnicom, if they want to, can keep buying back stock. Um, so, you know, it, that actually has a pretty high returning value for them if the stock's cheap. But for stocks that aren't buying back their stock, which is a lot of them, um, there's not a huge amount of benefit from the, uh, the crisis, you know? Uh, so I would say it's just a uh, question of the amount of lost time that you have as long as there's an insolvency issue. If there's a solvency issue, then you have a bigger problem because you have to factor in like whether you'll be diluted and by how much. Mm -hmm. But you can do that calculation. You can guess. I mean, you can say Dave & Buster's issued stock or whatever. You can say how much do I think they're going to issue and at what price and stuff like that. Um, you know, guess ahead of time. That's basically what we talked about already with those. We said they'll, they'll need to recapitalize at some point. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to guess what the recapitalization will be done at because um, if they'd done it a month ago, right, they'd have a much worse deal than what they got instead. Mm -hmm. But so when you're saying like lost time though, right? So that mm -hmm. comes from like thinking about the potential IRR, right? Yeah. Because I was going to say, I mean, technically if you're paying a cheaper price though, aren't you already being compensated for that? Like, is it already adjusting for that? Yeah. So actually the adjustment would have to be pretty big. So, I mean, it, it depends. We can do some of the math on it, but it depends. But um, the kinds of declines that we saw now wouldn't make much sense. Um, in terms of the valuation change being big enough. So uh, let's say it's 12%. You got a calculator here? Uh, sure. All right. So as an example, let's say that you thought you were going to make 12% and you didn't. Okay. Then Buffett did this estimate before in the 1990s. He said, okay, well, you can buy Cisco or whatever, but since it doesn't earn anything, you have to add to the amount that you're paying what Cisco doesn't earn that you would have elsewhere. So in this case, we'll say that um, you were expecting a 10% return. Okay. okay, That's what you hope for from a business normally. That could be a combination of free cash flow plus growth or whatever. So sure. maybe at you know Google or, or Netflix or whatever, you're expecting to be mostly growth. So then you have 1.1, you have, um, right? So you have 1.1 now. Okay. And then if that's just one year. Now, if it's two years, it compounds. And so you multiply it by 1.1 again, you get 1.21. And... Um, and so on, and it would be 1.33, I guess, in the next uh, um, third year. So let's say three years. That's a simple one, 1.33. So 
to, there is a factor of time here that we can get into, but if you just take one and divide by 1.33, you should see um, what you should expect in the sort of decline that you would need to have, right? So to be able to buy something three years out, mm -hmm. if you're assuming the, the earnings today, uh, so if you assume for three years that it earns nothing and doesn't grow, Okay, now that's different depending on the company. Some companies will take three years to grow back to where they were, but in the meantime, they'll continue to earn money. Sure. Some won't. Some will actually lose money, and so you have to add the losses into it too. So taking that into account, you should have a 25% decline if you have three years of not any earnings that you... In the stock price. Yeah, the stock price needs to be 25% lower for you to uh, basically pay those three years. You're lending them three years of time. You need to get 25%. Um, cheaper stock if it's earning it today versus if it's earning it three years from now. Um, now, that's if you're expecting 10% type returns. Uh, the market may accept that returns are much lower than that, and I don't expect the market to return 10% a year for the next three years, really. I mean, I don't make predictions of that short a period of time, but it, it could be lower. And if it's a lot lower, then it makes sense, you know, the kinds of levels that you might be at, like a 12% decline or something, and it depends on the stock. Um, so you do it for the lost time factor for companies that will lose money or recapitalize. You actually have to add the amount that will be lost to what we just did. So if you think it will take three years for an airline to get back, let's say, mm -hmm. okay, it's not. So say the airline earns nothing and takes three years, then it would need to be down 25%. Now they're down much more than that. And the reason is you have to add in the amount of money that you basically have to be putting in. There's different ways of doing this, but the losses basically have to be added on top of that 1.33 number. So you add in those losses as it's sort of like a startup where it's burning money and you factor that into it and it's significant what it would be. So it, you can get to very big numbers that way. And that's why it's down so much probably is because they're factoring that in. Um, those get tricky though, because of course you might have other people putting in money. So like with Buffett or something, he could have hoped, well, I won't put any more money in the airlines, but maybe other people will put in money at values that are too high for, mm -hmm. the, for the stock, you know? Um, so you don't have to fund the losses yourself as if you owned a hundred percent of it. What would your discount rate be or, or your hurdle rate? Would you change that at all? Because your expectations for the market over the next five to 10 years is lower or would you still keep it at 10%? The truth, better to be conservative. The truth is that in general, as the expected return on the market goes lower, it increases the option value of money so that actually you might want your discount rate to be higher because the value of inaction goes up. Um, so in essence, when the market's likely to return very low numbers is usually right before it's about to return very high numbers. So like in 2007 or something, it was, you might have expected to return fairly low numbers or 2000, but then within one, two, three years, depending on which case you had very good ch chances to earn, you know, 15% instead of 10% or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it, it's hard to say. I mean, that, that's when we've talked about a lot before people tend to use the, uh, they put in interest rates and things like that. Uh, I would say, you know, it's it's up to you and what you can do. Um, the the best thing is if you know of an alternative that you are confident will get a certain return. Um, we can do that mostly because we own some stuff that's unrelated to the market. But people could do that with a bond, a preferred stock, whatever that they feel confident in. Um, it doesn't have to be a government bond necessarily. Would you pay today? 15 times, let's call it 2023 earnings for a you know, solvent, good, predictable business? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm just trying to see like what you're thinking of like valuation multiples and stuff like oh, that. Oh, you mean would I pay today for 15 times earnings 
in that far in the future? Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. No. So like, what would you pay today for like a good business then? You mean if the business won't produce earnings for a few years? Sure. We can do it like that. Using, yeah, either okay. way. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot, that's how a lot of people value stuff, right? They slap multiples on it. Okay. If you're going to do like a back of the envelope, I'm just trying to give people like how you're thinking about, you know, multiples and valuation in this environment, assuming that we have some sort of recession or something like that going forward. You came out, you said the other day that you are the bearish that you've ever been. Mm-hmm. Yet we're still looking to purchase stocks, obviously, and mm-hmm. we still have purchased equities. We did purchase equities, but it was at four or five times last year's earnings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if earnings drop 50%, we're still purchasing at a pretty big discount to what most people are paying. If they drop 75%, we're still paying a pretty reasonable price. Um, so, yeah, no, I would definitely buy stocks like that, single-digit PEs and things, and, and discounts to price to book. I'd be very interested. Uh, to answer your question, you probably pay about two-thirds of the value uh, that you normally would. So if, if you like stocks at 15 times earnings normally, uh, then you need to pay about uh, 10 times 2023 20, earnings, yeah. I thought it was interesting in the Berkshire meeting how Buffett was saying he didn't view their stock as technically cheap, even though it's cheaper than when they last repurchased the stock because of just everything that's been going on. Yes, and I think it was mostly intrinsic value, but he did explicitly um, mention the option value of, of cash, mm-hmm. and that is very significant. Um, there's not a, there's a lot... Mm, there's not a lot of cash in the world that isn't also have borrowing associated with it now. A lot of companies have taken on debt. Um, uh, there's not a willingness by a lot of companies to use up their cash, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, let's put it that way. Like, you know, uh, we own stock in NACO and they said that they'd like to purchase some mineral rights and stuff. There's probably not a lot of companies that are looking to take cash and buy mineral rights right now. So, you know, obviously if you do that, then the value is it's more attractive. You could probably get a little more mineral rights than normal for your um, cash. You've been following the price of natural gas lately i have not been following the price of natural gas. we talked about it today on the on the rundown with vetla because it's been like skyrocketing yeah. so i thought about naco or whatever um so what would your advice be then to individuals everyone i mean people reach out to you all the time mm-hmm. talk about valuations everything that's going on in the market the potential recession i mean how would you think about like what would your advice be to individuals buying stock today my advice would be to look out several years. Uh, I like to look out five years. I mean, I like to look at longer than that when thinking about a company, but look out five years instead of looking at today's PE and try to figure out if you can find a company where you feel confident what the PE will be in about five years. And then it's worth it to buy now for that. So we're, we have a stock up on the screen right now, um, Omnicom, where obviously um, that's not a bad PE, you know, or, or, or price to sales, for instance. Like that price to sales in... Um, in 2008, I was happy to pay. The business isn't quite as good now as back then. But I would say try to find something that you can look at five years. That's obviously what we did with the stock we were talking about as a car dealer. Obviously, I think that in five years, car dealers will be an okay business. The reason why I mentioned Monarch Cement is because I think in five years, cement will be an okay business. Now, if you're in some sort of huge depression or something, then yeah, uh, demand for cars and, and cement and homes and all sorts of things will be a lot worse. But these are things where we can figure out that we hope they won't actually burn a lot of cash for a few years. They have some cash on hand and some borrowing ability. And then we just say, what will they um, be priced at like five years from now? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that sort of thing. So can you afford to not grow for five years or something? And you can. If you pay four times earnings or even eight times earnings, then yeah, you can afford to not grow for that long. Like I said, it could be 10. You know, you could be okay with that. So if if, if you pay a price today that you don't get back to, 
till 2023, and that price is 10 times earnings, you'll be okay because if it trades okay. at 15 times earnings that many years from now, you'll do fine. Be compensated. I mean, you, you won't. You won't make meaningful amounts of money in the stock. But as long as you're paying prices that are like 10 times those future earnings, then you're fine. If you're paying 15 times those earnings, though, you have to be careful because that is, if it really takes them several years to get back to where they are now, paying 15 times last year's earnings is going to be a lot like paying 25 times earnings when you factor in the amount of time that you've lost, okay. you know, yeah. as opposed to going out and buying something that immediately has yield. Perfect. Yeah, that's actually most. I was trying to get from you. Well, great. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning with Jeff and myself in today's podcast on the number one value investing podcast in the world, soon to be the number one value investing YouTube channel in the world as well. Hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. We have a lot of momentum there. I'm loving it. I am absolutely loving it. It's making it more encouraging to put out content. Yeah. It, it's fun. Yeah. It is fun. So, and if you're listening on the podcast side, anything, a rating and review goes a long way. If you like QuickFS, which is what Jeff and I use, I don't want to plug this too much every video, um, and you want to sign up for it, you, if you uh, mentioned that you heard about it through us, there'll be a survey and you could click focus compounding. Uh, we get a piece of your subscription price, which is a good way uh, to support us. If you like the work and the content that we are putting out for everybody uh, for free, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us and we will see you in the next podcast. Take care.